if we're being honest, a lot of people didn't take COVID-19 seriously until the NBA season was canceled. That fact is not an indictment of black people or white people. It just shows how much this country loves money. Because had Rudy Gobert not come down with the coronavirus, the NBA season would probably still be going on. We would probably, you know, be in the middle of watching March Madness. And that golf tournament would be just a few weeks away of making its way to Augusta, Georgia, and maybe becoming the single biggest vector in America as it relates to uh, what we now know as the coronavirus. Gobert coming down with COVID-19 was an inadvertent blessing as much as it was a flashpoint. It wasn't only a flashpoint in terms of people not taking COVID-19 seriously, and certainly Rudy Gobert didn't take it seriously, but it's also a flashpoint in terms of how much we prioritize celebrity and how much we prioritize not only the lives of celebrities, but the earning potential of celebrities over virtually anything and everything else in this country. And it's with that backdrop that I have to provide a, a sad reminder that Kobe Bryant is no longer with us. And you're probably wondering, well, what in the world is Kobe Bryant no longer being with us have to do with COVID-19? And all you have to do is go back and look at some newspapers from when Kobe, his beautiful daughter and seven other folks died in that tragic crash. And you'll, of course, see Kobe and that group on the front page. But if you look to the side, you may see a story about a virus uh, making its way through China in a ravaging fashion. And that virus, that coronavirus is the same coronavirus that we are dealing with at this very moment. Now, depending on whom you get your news from and whom you get your social commentary from, that in and of itself is the first coronaspiracy. Mars investigation. The National Basketball Association is a suspect in Dr. Umar's investigation. That's right. The goddamn NBA is a suspect. So apparently Umar thought that the NBA was in some way responsible for the death of Kobe Bryant. And if you think that's crazy, then, you know, imagine when you <laughs> once you hear about some of the theories and coronaspiracies surrounding COVID-19. There's some folks who think that this will be the beginning of a one world currency. There are some folks who think the coronavirus was created in a lab. And then you have some folks who think the coronavirus was a hoax created by political opponents. Now the Democrats are politicizing the coronavirus. You know that, right? Coronavirus. They're politicizing it. We did one of the great jobs, you say, how's President Trump doing? They go, oh, not good, not good. <laughs> they have no clue. They don't have any clue. They can't even count their votes in Iowa. They can't even count. The truth is this. You don't have to look far for the quote-unquote coronaspiracies. Here are the facts. And they are uh, indicting and scary in and of themselves. The ugly truth is this, is that the Trump administration knew about the coronavirus as soon as January and didn't do anything about it for uh, concerns about uh, Trump's reelection bid. And to take it a step further, Trump and his administration actually disbanded a task force that was designed to deal with 
coronavirus and other illnesses that might cause the type of pandemic that we're seeing right now in this country. What's similarly alarming and disappointing is that while Trump was in South Carolina looking for attention in the midst of a Democratic primary, Trump knew full well about the threat of coronavirus and at that time not only was doing nothing about it, but was calling it a hoax. So now this country is in a full blown pandemic and the fallout is profound because it's not only an indictment of the Trump administration, it is an indictment of the American economy and how we do business, not only here, but abroad. And that is the heart of what I want to talk about on making a difference today. And with everything that's happening, when you talk about, you know, bailouts for corporations, when you talk about uh, trillions of dollars being poured into the stock market. You know, when you talk about just the failings of our healthcare system, the failures of our education system in the midst of this pandemic, what is woefully apparent to me is that coronavirus, COVID-19 is not the only disease that we're dealing with in this country. The other disease is capitalism. Um, to, be a Negro, to be a Negro in this country and to be um, relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage. Almost, almost all of the time. You wonder why I spit the truth, but not to make no dope. To make a difference. Yo, welcome to another episode of Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Making. So glad to be checking in with you all. Woo! Man, look, sitting up in my room, word to Brandy. I'm just thinking about everything that's been going on, man. And I have so much I want to say today, man. Just a lot I want to get off my chest. I know I actually promised uh, this pod to you guys a week ago. And the reason why I didn't get it out sooner is because it seemed like every time I wanted to sit down and do the pod, like there was so much new information that was coming out. There were so many different things that were happening. You know, this thing was being shut down and, you know, there were things going on, you know, abroad. And there was just so much information to take in. And of course, just dealing with it in real time and just making sure that, you know, everything's good with, you know, my family and just, you know, the, um, you know, immediate family, extended family, just different things like that. So, you know, I'm just glad to, you know, really have a chance to just sit down and just share my thoughts with you on Corona Spiracies. I know, look, it's a it's a phrase I was able to coin. Uh, it's a phrase that <laughs> I know I got to chuckle out of you guys. And I'm just glad to be able to sit down and, like I said, just get some stuff off my chest. There can be a lot of there's there's so much uh, support of making a difference. It's so amazing. You're going to hear from. You know, some local um, politicians, you know, who are running for office uh, in Augusta, Richmond County. You're going to hear just obviously from just the amazing, you know, support and amazing sponsors that we have, you know, on this pod. Before I get started, I do want to say that I had in a works uh, podcast that I was going to do. And the name of the podcast was going to be No Cap. And it was actually going to be a, a flat out indictment of capitalism. And I was going to frame it from the perspective of just some of the anti-capitalist views of folks that you know and love, Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, Fred Hampton. And, you know, I was, as I'm often doing, just sitting down thinking about a lot of different things and, you know, writing things down and assessing things. And, you know, the biggest indictment of capitalism and the biggest indictment of that particular system of winners and losers, a system that is so, I mean, it's built on the backs of uh, black people and yet keeps us out of the process. Like there's no bigger indictment of capitalism uh, than what we have going on right now in this country with COVID-19, because let's face it, 
in a pandemic, everybody's a socialist. You know, we're sitting up here, you know, folks are waiting on these thousand dollar checks. They're waiting on, you know, uh, two thousand dollars from the government. You know, we're asking, well, you know, when's the government going to have these tests ready for COVID-19 and just so much of our attitudes now, you know, are the attitudes of people who, you know, um, would be under socialism. You know, we're sitting up here saying, you know, well, seems like, you know, more of these companies uh, should be able to or should be tasked, you know, to make masks for us and different things like that. And so I'm just hearing there's a lot of a lot of socialist energy right now. Um, and it's, it's interesting and it's honestly refreshing. I wish that we had uh, presidential candidates or, you know, a president that was more uh, reflective of that particular system. It's a shame to see the Democratic Party going the way of Joe Biden, whom, uh, by the way, as you're hearing this podcast, uh, we haven't heard or seen from Joe uh, here in a little bit, man. So uh, kind of worry about Joe, especially since Joe uh, says he wants to run for president. Um, so uh, if you see Joe Biden, man, tell him, to you know. Make us just speak up. Say what up, man. Just want to make sure you're all right, man. It's a global pandemic going on. Nevertheless, there's a lot going on uh, in the world. Uh, first and foremost, before we, uh, you know, before I go any further, man, I just want to just say uh, peace to you and yours, man. There's a lot going on. Obviously, you know, there's some folks who are, you know, under a lot of stress. You know, I know there are a lot of folks who are able to work from home right now. And that, you know, is a blessing in and of itself. Uh, but man, those of you, for those of you guys who are on the front lines, you know, uh, folks in medicine, you know, the folks in trucking, uh, you know, folks, uh, look, I don't, I don't want to leave anybody out, man. It's just, there's a lot of folks right now. We're seeing as much as we're seeing the bad of corporations and we're seeing the, the negatives of capitalism, we are seeing some great individual and some great collective efforts from people who are really representative of the common good and just of that, that strain of humanity, man, that, you know, I, I believe is this in each and every one of us, man. Like we know what's right and we know what's wrong, man. And, you know, when you look at all the stuff that's going on now, like there's no better time to just really just stand up and make sure that things get done and to make sure that, that we're holding, you know, people accountable to make sure that, you know, we're taking care of our seniors and all these different things that are going on. But, you know, with all the stuff going on, man, you just, it's hard to find a roll of toilet paper. And... <laughs> Shout out my man, Donald Doe, man. Donald Doe, y'all know that's my brother, man. I love that guy, man. We, um, You know, he was like, and, you know, we were having this dialogue. And he's like, man, what's up with the toilet paper? And, you know, I said a word to him, and I'm going to share a word with y'all. But let me just say first and foremost, like, if the to if toilet paper is not, if that, if what's going on with toilet paper, if that's not indicative of this country, like, <laughs> I can't tell you. I mean, th that is perfect. Let me start you out and remind you that Trump once called, um, you know, some some countries uh, as whole countries, uh, as I seem to recall. So for Trump to have that assessment of those countries and then to see us like chasing after toilet paper in the way that we are, like the irony of that is just overwhelming. You know what I mean? And apparently it's not the first time in American history that that happened. Like we're so like the way that and I'm going to. I do want to break down like how media works because people just kind of throw things like media creates hysteria and there's no uh, specificity, you know, as it relates to um, how media works. But we're just going to say just for right now, like there are certain components of media that have created this hysteria. In 1973, the same thing happened with Johnny Carson on Tonight Show. Johnny Carson was like, yeah, so there's a shortage, short, shortage of toilet paper. And apparently this caused like people to go out and like get toilet paper in droves. And so there was like some of that same energy because so much of mass media, like their coverage is, oh my God, the stores are emptying and people are buying X, you know, people are buying cleaning wipes and stuff like that. And so this caused a massive run, like on toilet paper, on cleaning wipes, on, on stuff like that. But toilet paper has really become like, 
you know, the, the mascot of this pandemic. And it's, it's, it's America to the T because look, America is about her paper period. Like America cares about the dollar. Like, and not only that, but America is greedy and we are really seeing the character of that when people hoard items such as toilet paper. When we see stories about, you know, uh, these uh, young men who bought over 17,000 bottles of hand sanitizer. That's capitalist greed to a T because they were thinking, hey, we're going to buy, you know, all this uh, hand sanitizer and, and we're going to flip it. We're going to make a huge profit, man. We're going to set ourselves up for life. Uh, my understanding now is that uh, those young men, you know, because of, you know, uh, claim, you know, people saying, well, hey, they're price gouging. And apparently they had to eat the cost of that. They end up donating a bunch of that, um, donate a bunch of those bottles. So. It goes to show. And I mean, there, you know, uh, there again, you know, when we talk about capitalism, you know, you have winners and losers and, you know, those young men definitely lost um, in taking on, you know, that much product. But again, that is reflective of the values of a capitalist society. And really, as an American, to see this run on toilet paper is so embarrassing because when you think about toilet paper, like there's no medicinal value. Uh, when it comes to, as it relates to toilet paper, there's no sustenance. I mean, toilet paper really has one function and it is a, a crude function. And to think that this is what is most important to us. And at least we're showing what is important to us with our dollars. It's just really embarrassing, man. It's really embarrassing to be in a country where, you know, <laughs> you know, we got to keep it. We got to keep the toilet paper rolling because, you know, like there are, there are shortages of it. It's just sad, man. But I do think this is a good time to talk about media in general, because the line I always get is, is, you know, well, why does why does the media promote this hysteria? And, and that's honestly a good question, but it's a layered question. When I look at media and of course, you know, I'm in independent media and the media that a lot of people talk about, you know, is mass media. And so when you talk about mass media, you know, you're talking about your CBS's, Fox's, you know, CNN, MSNBC folks like that. And what, what people need to understand about mass media is that mass media now is largely in the realm of entertainment or infotainment. Media is not so much about information. It's very hard to get mass media to tie into or to have a focus in the prioritize information. Think about the stories that you're seeing uh, in mass media In mass media. You know, they're going to these grocery stores and you, so you see the shelves are empty and it's creating this paranoia when there are so many more pressing stories and so many more pressing issues going on, there are people who are working for corporations who are working for businesses who are not getting sick leave, who are not getting paid leave, who, you know, are basically being taken advantage of by these companies. But mass media is not reporting on that. Unemployment rates right now are through the roof. And there are very few, if any, um, of these mass media uh, entities who are reporting specifically on unemployment. I can tell you, um, I actually, and like I said, I, the exception I know of, I believe I was, it was, I was either watching CBS news or ABC news, uh, CBS news, or one of, one of those outlets has said that there's a 400% spike in unemployment in South Carolina. I want to say it was Colorado or Oregon. I forget which one there's an eight, excuse me, make sure I get this right. Colorado was an 800% spike. And I want to say it was Oregon. There was a 2,100% spike, uh, in unemployment claims. Those are devastating statistics. But again, they are statistics. Statistics are less uh, um, inclined or less likely to glue you to the TV as it is watching uh, what basically equates to supermarket sweep. Welcome to the first supermarket in the world that gives you money. $5,000. 
and we give it away time and time again. Since $5,000 is serious money, you have to do some serious shopping to earn that $5,000. The whole idea is to shop faster and smarter than the next person. Go ahead, grab everything you can get your hands on. Then fill up your cart as high as you can. Sure, it may look like hard work, but you know what? It's a lot of fun, too. When you win the 5,000, sometimes you get carried away, and sometimes you'll even be moved to tears. So get ready, because you never know what's going to happen on Supermarket Sweep. Yeah, Supermarket Sweep was one of my favorite game shows growing up, but... This junk going on in the stores right now is not fun, man. It is depressing going into the stores, man, and not being able to find uh, the stuff that you need, especially if it's essential items that you need, you know, for uh, your loved ones, man. And people are not thinking about that when they're going into these stores, man. I And the, the morale of folks that are working in these stores, man, it breaks my heart. There's a lady who, you know, was buying up a bunch of lamb and... You know, she came up there. I think she had like three or four packets. And the lady was like, well, you can only get, I think she said one or two packets. And that lady just like railed, like just lit into her, man. And I'm like, yo, we're doing this over packets of meat. And keep in mind now, you know, when we're talking about folks, you know, who are, you know, working, uh, working in, uh, in retail, who are working in these grocery stores and these places like that, man, these folks have been worked to the bone. And I could tell you just like some of the war stories, man, from the people on the ground. And, you know, they're saying things like, OK, well, you know, they know they're working this like crazy. And basically all they're giving us is it's like a small bonus, you know, just different things like that, where I'll be honest with you, two things should be happening right now. If you're essential personnel, whether you're in uh, the medical field, wherever you are, if you're working in these conditions, you should be making hazard pay in addition to what you're already making. And I'm, I'm definitely seeing this like uh, I'm, I'm starting to see manufacturing uh, trend down a little bit. Uh, GM, you know, places like that are saying, hey, we're going to cl close off these plants for a little while. But those people, I mean, even still, if you're if you're in a plant right now, and you're working, you should be making additional pay, whether you're essential or not essential, because as far as I'm concerned, like some of this manufacturing stuff can slow down. But definitely, if you're, you know, in some of these places where you haven't you know, restocked the shelves, you know, all these people who basically look down on people in food services, people say, well, oh, yeah, that's that's not those that's unskilled labor. Oh, really? Well, look how important these people are in a the pandemic. These people need to be seeing four or five dollar raises. Yeah, I said it. And, you know, we have these conversations about the minimum wage and, we, you know, and the the line that we're hearing now that's, you know, that's so radical and so liberal if is fifteen dollars an hour. Uh, nah, bro, <laughs> it need to be twenty dollars. The minimum wage need to be twenty dollars an hour. How are we going to pay for it, Ken? How are we going to pay for it? Same way we're going to pay for this uh, trillion and a half dollars that. You know, that we given uh, that we pumped into the stock market so we could see what 15 minutes of a spike before it went back down in the dumps. Same way we're going to pay for these thousand dollar checks that's going out to every American or every taxpayer. We need to have that same energy, man, for everybody. And if you don't get it in a if you don't understand that in a pandemic, then you'll never understand it. But it'll be to your disadvantage. want to take a quick break. And again, I just want to say thank you. Uh, all of you guys who are on the front lines, man. Uh, really just, you know, fighting to preserve our way of life and not even our way of life, but just our frantic way of life, man. And I mean, these are our brothers, sisters, man, people we friends with, family like, man, we appreciate y'all for real, man. If like, you know, the, the pay might not reflect it, man, but we care about y'all. We love y'all, man. For real, for real. I want to talk about the politics of a pandemic after this quick break. You're listening to Making a Difference. My name is Lauren Macon and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. 
This is Donald Doe and Mike Hill Doe with Family Financial Consultants. Do you need help with Medicare, with affordable mortgage and life insurance, building an estate for your child? We provide these types of services for you and much more. As independent insurance brokers, we take pride in coming into people's homes and not only saving them money, but changing their lives. Imagine only paying a few dollars for your medicine instead of hundreds or cutting the cost of your insurance premiums. Our goal is to provide affordable policies tailored to your individual needs. Give us a call at 803-293-8915 or 706-503-3933. Family Financial Consultants, LLC, located at 412 Edgefield Road in North Augusta, South Carolina. Agents work for companies, but a broker works for you. Adversity, challenges, and mediocrity are a part of any business or organization. What separates a good business or organization from a great one is how staff and members work together to reach common goals and to keep their eyes on the prize. I'm Janice Allen Jackson with Janice Allen Jackson & Associates, LLC, and there is a better way for you to reach your goals. Our mission is to enhance the effectiveness of organizations by equipping leaders to better serve their customers, employees, and the larger community. While many consultants provide the same solutions to each client, we tailor our approach to you. We provide leadership-based speaking services, strategic planning, problem solving, and other organizational development services to government, business, religious, and nonprofit organizations. In business, it's important to have a leg up on the competition. With any organization, being on one accord and identifying why you aren't achieving what you want is crucial. We specialize in excellence, so we work hard to understand your needs and work with your organization to achieve and meet those needs. Call or text me today at 704-707-5114, or you can email us at JaniceAllenJackson at gmail.com. We're here to help your organization find a better way. Follow Janice Allen Jackson and Associates on Twitter at this handle, J-A-J and LLC. That's spelled J-A-J-A-N-D-A-S-S-O-C-L-L-C. What's going on, everybody? It's Knife Wonder right here, man. And you're checking out Making a Difference with my man, Ken Macon. Keep it locked. Peace. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. I want to talk about the politics of a pandemic. And the, the fact that I even have to talk about the politics of a pandemic is which really just underscores the failures of the two-party system. It underscores the failures of the federal government. Because while, you know, we're sitting up here and we're watching people struggle, we're watching poor people struggle, struggle. we're watching, you know, working class uh, people struggle, we're watching all of these folks struggle. The government and the two-party system focus is making sure that the way of life for corporations, the way of life for big business is is retained or is maintained or stays the same or, you know, is able to recover. I think about this phrase, too big to fail. And so often we've heard that phrase be used in terms of big business and industry in this country. We've seen bailouts happen in you know, under the idea of we can't let these businesses fail. And the profound disappointment and frustration and quite frankly, anger, when I think about the idea of a business being too big to fail is, is that we don't have that same energy for households. We don't have that same energy for individual people. We don't have that same energy for the work in public. What's the difference in 
a corporation or an industry that's had so many chances to succeed that, you know, so many of these businesses we've seen not pay taxes. So many of these businesses that we've seen, like basically circumvent the process of being accountable financially and just be solely allowed to make money and to do so in a uh, immoral and almost corrupt, in some cases, corrupt ways. And these businesses are allowed to succeed, but it's our households where people are paying taxes, where people are struggling, scraping uh, scraping up to make ends meet. But there's no no conscientiousness from our government to make sure that those people um, are taken care of. And that's a lot of what I want to talk about in terms of a politics of a pandemic. I have to start this conversation, of course, by looking at the economic stimulus bill and the fact that that bill has failed twice. Now, I, you know, and y'all know how I feel about a two party system. <laughs> Look, I'm just I'm to the point now where there are so many clear indications and in, in, of failure from both Democrats and both Republicans. So Senate Democrats have struck down this have struck down this bill twice. And of course, you know, Republicans playing politics are going to say, well, the Senate Democrats are the ones that are keeping you from getting your checks. Now, this is complex from a simple reason that, you know, according to reports and man, y'all know me, I like to it, like before I before I uh, read a news story, or before I look at something and like my spider sense goes off, I would rather just go to the bill. Um, go to the house resolution, whatever it is, and I'll just go and I'll just read through it and try to read through it, you know, for content and for context. Went to con- I went to congress.gov to try to look at it and, and read through it myself. Y'all. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was, it was, it was so difficult to find. There was so much information. Um, what they're trying to add on with this bill is an amendment. So you're trying to sift through all this information and it's just, it's virtually inaccessible in terms of being able to look somewhere and say, okay, this is what this bill is. This is what this bill has. Um, this is what this, here's the good parts of the bill and here's the bad parts of the bill, which in and of itself is an indictment of the political process. If you're sitting down and I'm sitting down here and I'm thinking about this, the most important part of this economic stimulus for me, for you, for most of us is to make sure that working class Americans are being taken care of. $1,200, $1,500, $2,000, however much money it is that, that look, that every man and woman in this country should get should be the first part of this and should be independent of any political games that Democrats and Republicans are playing. That is not the case. And before I get into some of the specifics, the thing, the most disgusting part of this bill for me is that the thing that the Democrats and the Republicans can agree on is that big business needs a bailout. So here we go again. We're back to, okay, well, the whole idea of too big to fail. We have seen what that looks like. And what it looks like is, is that the banks win, big business wins, and who loses is the labor force. And the labor force continues to lose. And I'm to the point now, Democrat, Republican, whatever side you're on, I'm I'm not almost to the point. I'm at the point because we've reached a point in this country where our politicians are not accountable and our politicians are not accountable for various reasons because they don't respect the working class because they feel like they are working for corporations or they're working for a lobby instead of working for uh, working class people. But we need to see these people being voted out of, voted out of office and we need to see these people being voted out of office in mass 
it's never been more evident that government as constructed with the and I mean you we may it may be this the system in and of itself that we need to restructure or rearrange. But definitely the players in are not getting a job done. They gotta go. These people are so out of touch with them are so out of touch with us, with working class values. I, my understanding, and I uh, went to uh, went to Forbes just this morning. I understand that part of the uh, this you know coronavirus uh, bill is a digital dollar, and so I'm looking at this thing like di- like digital dollar. What does that have to do with getting <laughs> resources, getting money to the people who need it right now? Meanwhile, according to I actually uh, just looked this up from Vox, there's a five hundred billion dollar a piece of this bill that's allocated to big business, which, you know, Dems are saying doesn't uh, doesn't have enough oversight. So what we have now is, you know, it's just business as usual, which is basically Democrats and Republicans not being able to get along in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a time where we need effective and efficient leadership from government. And that's just Congress. Don't get me started on the president and his administration, which again, you know, they were two months late to the party in terms of stopping the spread of COVID-19. And now we have these almost daily press conferences uh, from this administration that almost seem like vanity projects for Donald Trump because he's coming up here and he's presenting this misinformation. He's creating this narrative uh, that this is a, you know, a Chinese, that it's the Chinese virus. And that's as near as I can tell, it's the same thing he did four years ago. Four years ago, he's saying, okay, Mexico is going to pay for the wall and turn that into basically a battle cry that led him being elected to that office. So now his new scapegoat is China and the Chinese. And you have this president who's talking out both sides of his mouth and really is going to get people hurt. We're already seeing where uh, Chinese Americans are being attacked and that's going to extend to Asian Americans because let's face it, like hatred and ignorance is not going to try to differentiate between Asian Americans, they just go. I mean, they're they're just going to attack whomever they think is, you know, well, you got this virus or you brought this virus over here. So you have this culture of irresponsibility coming from the Trump administration. And it gets worse because where scientists and doctors are saying, look, it's going to take us months to get over this thing. It's going to take months um, to, you know, basically make sure people are sitting down, um, you know, and what, you know, essentially is, is a quarantine except for, you know, essential personnel. Donald Trump saying, nah, we got to get back to business here in a couple of weeks. So if you're keeping score, this administration was two months late to the party. And now after two weeks, I can already tell you the energy they're going to have because some of the big corporations have the same energy. Okay, two weeks and we're going to get back to work. A two week quarantine is nothing. First of all, yeah, folks who are not uh, adhering to this quarantine, who are not adhering to staying at home, except for, you know, uh, hey, You know, you got to put gas in the car. You got to go get groceries, different things like that. People are just out, look, going to beaches, going to parks. uh, And depending on your counties, you know, some folks are still going to restaurants, which is a scary thought in and of itself. But as far as the two week quarantine, I'm hearing reports. I want to say it was the Princess Cruises or one of the cruise ships where the coronavirus or COVID-19 was able to survive um, and, you know, I guess uh, live on services for 17 days. It's longer than two weeks, y'all. So it's safe to say that this administration and, you know, <laughs> you know, just this country, we do not have a grasp on this thing. We don't have an intellect. We certainly don't have a 
a, a grasp on it in terms of a vaccine or in, in terms of, you know, finding a cure for this. But socially and intellectually, we don't have a cure for this thing either. And a lot of it is coming from this administration. It's coming from uh, just the uh, corp- uh, corporate and just the ignorant uh, attitude of, some, of this administration. And the character of that is really coming out because I'm looking at, uh, and this is just unbelievable. I'm looking at uh, the Texas uh, Lieutenant Governor, uh, Dan Patrick, um, who said that, or rather suggested that he and other grandparents will be willing to risk their health and even lives in order for the United States to, quote, get back to work. Uh, Patrick says, those of us who are 70 plus will take care of ourselves, but don't sacrifice the country, which is to say that, hey, hey, old folks can get sick and die, but we got to keep we got to keep the party moving. And it's at that point where you know what I say? The system is broken. (laughs) The system is broken beyond repair. When we get to a point where we're basically saying dollars or deaths, throw it away. Like I just, I'm, I, ref, I refuse to have like debates and, and arguments about certain things anymore. Bernie versus Biden isn't a, isn't a discussion anymore. It isn't a debate anymore. We're living in a time where universal health care is not radical when you think about and I mean and, and, and some things just seem so like trite and insignificant right now I love sports as much as the next person but people are talking about man I miss sports so much and I get it you you know you want a relief you want to have luxury but man there I mean there are profound issues going on right now that are bigger than sports if anything there are instances in sports where we're able to see once again the politics of a pandemic. When you talk about billion-dollar owners saying, well, hey, we need you uh, thousandaires to take pay cuts, to take 20% pay cuts. And I'm talking about the Philadelphia um, 76ers. There's just this prevailing attitude that working-class people don't matter, that the poor don't matter. And with all of this upheaval and everything that's going on, now's the perfect time to rebuild it to rebuild this system that that's just are irrevocably broken. And I know I said a lot of different things in a little bit of time, but the ultimate point I I have here is, is that people matter. And we, we've looked down on, on people. We've looked down on people in food services. We've looked down on people who stock shelves and those people now are more important than ever and should be paid as such. And, you know, we come up with these cute, you know, little slogans like fight for 15 and Oh, it's alliterative. $20 an hour. If you're stocking shelves at Walmart right now and you're being worked to the bone or Walmart or, you know, uh, you know, whatever these of these retail and department stores and places that you're working, grocery stores where you're working now and you're being worked to the bone. Those people are essential personnel. $20 an hour. And if you're working right now and you've it's been deemed that you're essential personnel, you should get paid some extra hazard pay. Uh, Walmart's uh, talking about paying their workers, uh, full time workers, a $300 bonus. And $150 bonus for uh, part-time folks. That's gross. That's disgusting. Wage hikes needs to happen now. And in the midst of this, it's so frustrating because how in the world, like who, who in the world is going to stand up and, and mobilize in this time? What are we going to do to fight for people at Walmart to see that they can get $20 an hour? Are we not going to go in Walmart? Are those people going to go on strike? Can they afford to do that? Can we afford to do that? Can uh, people in healthcare say, hey, we're going to go on strike because here are things that we need. And people and people might say, well, that's morally wrong. If they have a list of demands, 
that include protections for themselves and their patients? No, it's not morally wrong. It makes perfect sense. That's where we are now because government showing us that, hey, we're going to protect our way of life. You guys are on your own. So we got to have that same energy on this front to, to say that we're going to not only protect our way of life, but we got to make our way of life better because every round of the industrial revolution gives more power to management and less power to labor. I was in I was in one of these stores the other day and I saw this young lady. Uh, she was working a self-checkout and she was spraying some disinfectant and she was wiping down. Uh, wiping down the the self checkout, and I thought about that in that moment, and I and I empathized, and I and it just really was just just one of those moments that, for me, man, it was it was so disheartening because here's this young lady, she is maintaining and wiping down a machine that has been designed to replace her, to replace her job, to replace and infringe on her way of life. And here she is putting herself in a position to take care of this machine in a way that that makes sure that to try to make sure that she or no one else who uses that machine gets sick. I got brothers working in manufacturing, literal. I mean, I'm I'm talking about blood. I got a blood brother works in manufacturing. I got brothers uh, figuratively who I think the world of working in manufacturing and these corporations, man, (laughs) they don't care about me. They don't care about you. They don't care about us. The battle lines have been drawn for decades, man. People just dig in trenches and either you fight back now or you deal with the consequences because there's no turning back. There is no going back to whatever, you you know, we consider to be normal. There's a whole there's a new world that's being formed, that's being forged here. There's a new country that's being forged here. And is that world going to be forged in corporate interests or is it going to be forged in the interests of the people? That's up to me and you here right here right now about to take a quick break here but i want to reflect on you know this uh i know i've talked a lot about corporate greed and just the disease of capitalism uh there's a song here by young brother chewy it's called loot kemia and i just think it's uh really just a a perfect way to try to uh, encapsulate you know some of what's going on in this country and just some of the challenges uh, that we're seeing right here right now you're listening to making a difference Let's say the United States needs money. Instead of issuing their own United States notes backed by their own credit, they issue treasury bonds. They then sell these bonds to the Federal Reserve, which buys them with money they created out of thin air. The money that the Fed created then goes to the U.S. The U.S. then pays interest on the money that the Fed lent to the treasury. So to clarify, the Fed creates money from nothing, loans that money to the U.S., and then charges interest on that money. What this means is that there is never and will never be enough money in circulation or in existence to pay back that debt. Life is a disease, and you can die of it indeed. The sky's blood pressure high, he had diabetes, swish is sweet. I smoke a lot of fucking weed. I'm trying to see could I get hired in the trees. Brain go 200 hours to the mile every week. So the fire bring me peace. Put desire to an ease in the street. With someone dying every week. My neighbors wildin', we all dying for some cheese. It's a drug war raging, the supplier living free. The customers a target under fire in the streets. The police. 
framing niggas since in the years for a grant from the government they lying for the cheese we are mees mouses in the maze trying to feed we'll do damn near anything for our perception of a freedom woe is me our humankind is in defeat we are hoeing for our cheese money is a disease woe is me i think i'm dying from disease spent all my time chasing cheese now i'm infected with greed feel like i'm dying in my sleep Wake up to get it any means For money, I'm a fiend Woe is me, I think I'm dying from disease Spend all my time chasing cheese Now I'm infected with greed Feel like I'm dying in my sleep Wake up to get it any means For I money, suffer from withdrawals When I go to make withdrawals So it seems I get the shivers at the thought of spending cheese Woe is me I could be dying from disease Why the fuck am I so greedy? All I wanted was some green And it's hard for me to get it Me and everyone it seems We out here trying, out here dying for it But then there's people who get hired for a job right on the scene Complexion for connection or cause she had double D's Woe is me, I need something to sell to make some cheese Maybe I should chill and let the paper come to me Have you ever gone insane? You feel like broke is so demeaning You want more than what you have, what you have You ain't seeing, woe is me I want a steady flow of currency It ain't about the superficial spending or the fees Nah, I just wanna hold it, really I just wanna see it I just wanna know I have it Just in case I ever need it, yeah Woe is me, I think I'm dying from disease Spend all my time chasing cheese Now I'm infected with greed Feel like I'm dying in my sleep Wake up to get it any means for money, I'm a fiend. Woe is me, I think I'm dying from disease. Spend all my time chasing cheese, now I'm infected with greed. Feel like I'm dying in my sleep. Wake up to get it any means for money, Life is I'm a, a disease. Fiend. I think I'm dying in my sleep. So I don't do a lot of that to keep me breathing. Woe is me. I think my brain in need of ease. I don't know how to do that. I've been trying now for weeks. Woe is me. I think I'm dying from leukemia Cause all I want is money in the first and third degree What that mean? I'll kill for it, get it any means Just wanna hold it, wanna know that I can see it But the Federal Reserve apply a pressure to receive it In cahoots with local states to make employment rates decrease The profit margin slowly but steadily then recedes Demand for work is limited and bankruptcy is king It's easier to sell someone a janky ass business Than to pay to keep it running, that's the art of making cheese and niggas do it with financial aid and ebt just trying to cheat the system for some green money is a disease and you could die of it indeed the federal reserve apply a pressure to receive it in codes with local states to make employment rates decrease nigga you slaving for a burger with some cheese woe is me woe is me i think i'm dying from disease spend all my time chasing cheese now i'm infected with greed Feel like I'm dying in my sleep. Wake up to get it any means. For money, I'm a fiend. Woe is me, I think I'm dying from disease. Spend all my time chasing cheese. Now I'm infected with greed. Feel like I'm dying in my sleep. Wake up to get it any means. For money, I'm a fiend.
It's the West Coast Diva. Tell them follow the leader. It's yo, yo. You're listening to Making the Difference with Ken Making. Do you need insurance for your car, home, life, or business? Then trust Jay Harvey, your Allstate insurance agent in Evans, Georgia. He opened his agency in 2017 because he loves helping and working with people. As a husband and father, he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. You can get a personalized insurance quote today by calling 706-434-8106. Jay's office is located at 3118-8 William Few Parkway in Evans, Georgia. Remember, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent. a message for the residents of District 3 in all of Augusta. My name is Katherine Smith McKnight and I am proud to say that I'm a candidate for the District 3 seat here in Augusta Richmond County. I'm also proud to say that I'm a second generation public servant. My father Grady Smith served proudly as the Super District 10 Commissioner until he passed away in 2018. As much as I want to make my late father and mother Kathy proud, I don't expect to win just because I'm Grady's daughter. I expect to win because I have a plan to improve our district. I've lived in District 3 for over 25 years, and my campaign will focus on three key points, safety and security, maintenance and stability before growth, along with accountability and responsiveness. This campaign isn't about me, it's about us. In order to be your commissioner, I need your help on Election Day, which is Tuesday, May 19th. You can vote early or vote on Election Day. Just make sure you vote for Katherine Smith-McKnight, the candidate for District 3 Commissioner. You can find out more about the campaign and what we believe in at KatherineSmithMcKnight.com. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Qualifying week in Augusta, Richmond County was about two weeks ago. And as I think back on two weeks ago, man, that just seemed like a, another time entirely because of what we've seen with COVID-19 and just, you know, various lockdowns and things like that. One of the good things that happened uh, for this particular podcast was that we had a, ch- a chance to talk with a number of candidates, you know, before the lockdowns happened. So we're going to be presenting a number of, <clears throat> excuse me, a number of those conversations to you this week. We have some uh, which are already up. Had a chance to talk with Catherine Smith McKnight. You guys just heard her ad. And we also talked with young man who's running for coroner, Corey Carlisle. Those uh, conversations are already available, you know, on the Making a Difference page. You can get there. Uh, you can go to soundcloud.com backslash Making a Difference or wherever you get your podcast. Hopefully you guys are following Making a Difference, uh, whether you're on Spotify, Google Play, Wherever you get your podcast, you can listen to those episodes and previous episodes of Making a Difference. I want to briefly talk about some of the racial double standards uh, that I'm seeing in the midst of this pandemic. Because when we talk about lockdowns and we, you know, we talk about just making sure that that people adhere to social distancing, what I'm saying is can't help but think about the kids down at the beach uh, in Florida. And some of the faces of uh, what I could just, I mean, I, I don't want to call it protest. I'll just call it just straight out defiance of these kids who you know, basically were like, well, you know, we're not worried about coronavirus. And one of the kids, you know what? I think it's, uh, I think it'd be better if, if 
I'll let you guys hear instead of me telling you. If I get Corona, I get Corona. At the end of the day, I'm not going to let it stop me from partying. You know, I've been waiting. We've been waiting for Miami spring break for a while. About two months we've had this trip planned. Two, three months. So we're just out here having a good time. Whatever happens, happens. Like, it's really messing up with my spring break. What is there to do here other than go to the bars or the beach and they're closing all of it? It's really messing up. I think they're blowing it way out of proportion. I think it's doing way too much. Doing us bad. We need a refund. This virus ain't that serious. It's serious. It's more serious things out there like hunger and poverty, and we need to address that. Yeah, I mean, we planned this a long time ago, and it was kind of up in the air if we still go, but like we're here. I just turned 21 this year, so I'm here to party, so it's kind of disappointing, but we're just making the most of it. We met these other people in our little Airbnb spot, so we're just hanging out with them and trying to get drunk before everything closes. Three words came to my mind after I watched that interview. Black Bike Week. I thought about how local governments, how local law enforcement, uh, how they police these type of activities, how they police uh, these type of events. And there's a different attitude when there's a wave of black folks coming to your town versus when there's a wave of white folks coming to your town. I know there's a significant uh, number of you guys who are listening to the podcast who may have gone to Myrtle Beach you know, who may have gone to uh, some uh, coastal uh, regions or coastal areas and have tried to enjoy these events. And you're not treated like, you know, uh, people who are, you know, pay, uh, you know, paying for hotels and people who, you know, who are paying to go to these bars. You're treated like criminals. You're treated like an inconvenience and you're being treated like that. And it's not the middle of a global pandemic. These kids are down here, despite the fact that Local governments, state governments and federal government is telling them to stay home. So where's that policing? Where's that attention to detail? Where's that dedication to say, you know what? Now, you kids got to go home and you got to go home right now. It's an issue of life or death. We don't see that. And really, it's the height of privilege. And it disgusts me. And it's not just happening at the beach. I'm seeing here because, again, you know, I'm here. Uh, in the in the Augusta area, you know, uh, in the in the surrounding area, and so I see two counties. I see Richmond County, uh, Augusta, Richmond County, which is uh, mostly black. I want to say fifty five percent, sixty percent of the population is black, and I see a neighboring Columbia County, Columbia County, where the pro- uh, population is predominantly white, and so I see one community uh, basically fall under a lockdown. I see another community that that, that does not fall under a lockdown. Now. Uh, what provided the impetus for Augusta to lockdown was an incident where uh, apparently there were 300 people in a bar, uh, despite of fa- the fact that, again, social distancing and these things were being emphasized. Now, even looking at the demographics of that particular bar in that particular situation, it did not match the demographics of the city of Augusta. And so what I'm saying is this, and, you know, we can blame it on the Trump administration. You can blame it on uh, privilege. We can even blame it on affluence, but there's a certain attitude. There's a, there's a difference in attitude uh, that's cultural and that's also racial. And I think it's very different because here's the danger for African-Americans. Here's the danger for black people. When you talk about uh, forced administration of a lockdown, when you talk about an additional military presence or an additional police presence, we've seen historically 
how much of a disadvantage that is for African-Americans, how much of a more life-threatening situation that is for an African-American or for African-Americans or for black people. When you get law enforcement involved, when you get uh, military personnel involved. And the solution to me is very simple. We have to govern fairly. We have to govern equally. I cannot emphasize enough that this is a life and death situation. And what's happening now is that we're really starting to see the faces. Um, when I say and people say like the face of coronavirus and a lot of those faces are black faces. You know, there were some back and forth, you know, at the beginning of this thing that, you know, black people can, you know, black people don't get coronavirus and, you know, and, and all of these type of myths and different things like that. Well, that's not true. Uh, as a young man who's uh, behind the camera for NBC and MSNBC who got this thing. He's one of the faces of coronavirus. And I know they, um, that particular media outlet, uh, they mourn that they mourn that gentleman. There's a woman in St. Louis uh, who uh, was a nurse uh, who uh, contracted it uh, and, you know, uh, succumbed to uh, coronavirus and, and some additional <clears throat> additional uh, ailments. And if I'm going to sit up here and have a conversation about cultural and racial um, attitudes toward coronavirus. I also have to talk about how uh, healthcare and you know availability of resources is also different uh, culturally and it's also different racially. And it underscores the importance of people staying their butt at home because your selfishness is costing people their lives. And I also want to say that we're getting to the point now where uh, one of the most effective quarantines for me has been a 30-day snooze button because I'm tired of the conspiracy theories. I'm tired of the coronaspiracy theories. It's an insult to people who have gotten sick. It's an insult to people who have died. It's an insult to people who are still out here working in the midst of this thing for you to sit back on social media and call it a myth or say it's not that serious. It's selfish and it's counterproductive. We're going to take a final break and I want to come back and close this episode talking about the role of the church in a pandemic. You're listening to Making a Difference. We don't get to choose our parents. We don't get to choose what color we're born. It's more about, at that point it becomes, you're born here, you are, you're what color you are, you're what nationality you are, and then it's what you do with it, right? To make a difference. To make a difference. To make, to make a difference. Dear friends and citizens of Augusta, Richmond County, my name is Corey Carlisle. I am running to become the next corner of Augusta, Richmond County. I have law enforcement experience from Jenkins County, Toombs County, and have spent the last 17 years with the Richmond County Sheriff's Office, where I am currently a sergeant. If elected, I will bring professionalism and compassion to the office. My priorities are to encourage diversity by promoting women in leadership and implementing programs to motivate our youth to make better decisions. I encourage you to take advantage of every opportunity to vote, such as early voting. If you wait until election day, which is Tuesday, May 19th, I humbly ask that you vote for me, Corey Carlisle, as the next corner of Augusta Richmond County. Hey y'all, we're gonna get back to the show in just a minute, but first I wanna tell you about my good friends over at Quick Print Augusta. I want to tell you about some of the services they provide. They do family reunion t-shirts, political flyers, logo designs, church programs, church fans, brochures, business cards, and banners. So if you need any of those things, and I'm pretty sure you do, 
Give them a call at 706-750-9779. That's 706-750-9779. You can also shoot them an email at info at quickprintaugusta.com. Info at quickprintaugusta.com. You can also hit them up on Facebook at Quick Print Augusta. But wait, there's more. If you mention making a difference to the good folks at Quick Print Augusta, they will give you 10% off of your order. Again, if you mention MAD, making a difference, they'll give you 10% off. Enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Just want to encourage you guys once again to follow what we're doing on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com backslash making M-A-K-I-N a difference. Uh, we do a lot of work on Facebook, uh, facebook.com backslash making M-A-K-I-N a difference. I want to encourage you to follow us there. I'm also on Twitter at Twitter handle difference making M-A-K-I-N. You can also support, uh, financially support what we're doing here, making a difference. We certainly would appreciate that. Uh, one-time donations are available via Cash App. Uh, it's dollar sign making M-A-K-I-N a different show. Again, that's dollar sign M-A-K-I-N a different show. You can also support us month to month on Patreon. Doesn't matter if you give one dollar a month or a hundred dollars a month. We'd appreciate it. All the same, you can go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash making a different show. Again, that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash making a different show. We thank you in advance and obviously thank you just for, you know, liking podcasts, sharing podcasts, anything to help uh, grow what we're doing over here. Making a difference is always greatly appreciated. With that said, I want to wrap things up today by talking about the role uh, of the church in a pandemic. And trust me, I won't take long. (laughs) Uh, First and foremost, if your church is still holding services, uh, that's a problem. Because, again, we've talked so much about uh, social distancing and, and what that means and you know, so many governments saying, you know, you can't have more than 10 people in one place. And that is obviously being in scientists and doctors are, you know, having that same type of conviction. And while I certainly understand that can be a financial challenge uh, for some churches, you know, we <laughs> you can't go to dollars versus death route with the church. And we can't allow ourselves to be caught up uh, in tradition in a way that is actually harmful and damaging to the lives and livelihoods of people in the churches, particularly when you consider uh, statistically who goes to church and that's older people. And of course, older people are at greater risk uh, of uh, COVID-19 being fatal uh, if contracted. So the natural shift for a lot of churches has been to go uh, to, you know, online services and, that in and of itself, you know, is maybe a challenge for some congregants because it's a matter of having that access. Are we able to access, you know, church services from the phone or from the computer? And I think when you look at that lack of availability for some congregants, I think that in a lot of ways, churches, <clears throat> excuse me, end up being exposed much like governments can be because churches in a lot of ways, you know, represent a standard. Uh, They represent hope. They represent faith. And so and they they represent justice in a way that should uplift the communities around them. And many times what we see is that uh, for various reasons, uh, churches do not live up to that standard. So I think this is a time for uh, churches to reassess that and reassess that in a way that when we do come back to the church, to the building, that. There's more of a conscientiousness about taking care of the people who are in those pews. And in the meantime, keeping in mind that while we're at home, that we are still the church. For those of you who believe in the Bible as I do (laughs) and believe in the risen Savior. First Corinthians 12. 
chapter 12, verse 27, it says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part in it. And that's an excellent um, perspective when we talk about the church and us constituting the church and that there aren't supposed to be any divisions. And that it starts with verse 12. It says, just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ for we were all baptized by spirit. So as to form one body. Now watch this, whether Jews or Gentiles slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And that's where we are today. We're in the midst of a love movement. I've heard, you know, uh, God-fearing folks say faith over fear. And my experience in Christianity and my experience in just life has taught me that faith and fear are both applicable. And fear from the perspective of having a healthy respect for adversity and having a healthy respect for challenges with the understanding that faith and good works will get us through that adversity. Now, the faith part, I think from the perspective of going to church and tradition, I think we have a handle on. I think it's the good works that can be a challenge for us because the good works actually involve us sacrificing and sacrificing our way of life and you know, sacrificing for others. And that can be a challenge for some of us. But I challenge you and I challenge us all to just think about each other, to think about essential personnel, think about the poor, think about people who were sick before this pandemic and how contracting this pandemic could cost them their life. And I'm not saying these things to scare you. I'm saying these things to convict you to convict us, to be the church, to be what this world needs, because what we're seeing now is a world that's being corrupted by the love of money. We're seeing a world that's being corrupted by sinister interest. And it's going to take our good nature and it's going to take our godly nature to overcome these things. I think that's a good stopping point for today's episode of Making a Difference. I know we talked about a lot and I appreciate you guys, you know, hanging out with me. And, you know, while we're you know, locked down while we're in our houses, while we're in our homes. <clears throat> Love on your family, man. Spend time with your family. The things that you've been putting off doing now is a perfect time to do. Let's spend this time being sober and being vigilant. As First uh, Peter 5, 8 says. Thank you again for listening. I'm Ken Macon. I love you guys so much. Peace and God bless. The revolution will not be televised. You see... A lot of times people see, 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 see battles and skirmishes on TV and they say, aha, the revolution is being televised. Nah, the results of the revolution are being televised. The first revolution is when you change your mind about how you look at things and see that there might be another way to look at it that you have not been shown. What you see later on is the results of that, but the revolution, that change that takes place will not be televised.